0: Hey everyone, I've got some exciting news. We're unlocking Sawpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2 and making it available for everyone on our public feed. But if you love our work and want to be the first to listen to Season 3 as it's being released, head over to Patreon. There you'll find break-free versions of past SDS-9 episodes, Sawpaw and Fight Study, and our other bonus show, Fighters Brew. You'll also find our Liberation Martial Arts program, which is exclusive to our supporters. It's for beginner and advanced martial artists, as well as people just looking for fitness and rehabilitation. It's a gentle, wholesome, and embodied approach to training. Lots of individuals, trainers, families, friends, collectives, activists, and organizations are already using it. So if you want to support our work and get early access to all our great content, including Season 3 of SDS 9, go to patreon.com slash and join our community. You can also go to southpawpod.com and find the links there or on our show notes. Thanks for listening and catch you soon. This is Southpaw Deep Space Nine, Season 2, where we analyze Deep Space Nine and Star Trek from a political and historical lens, episode by episode. I'm watching DS9 with fresh and hopefully less fan-biased eyes, and Scott is the veteran Trek fan who knows more context about the show. We are discussing Season 2 of DS9, Episode 8, Necessary Evil. Scott, can you tell us about this episode?
1: Well aside from being an awesome song by Unknown Mortal Orchestra, we start the episode in Bejor. Quark is having a reminiscing time and maybe a little flirtation with Vatric Palra. She says she didn't kill her husband, but Odo doesn't agree with this. And it's... Assumed that they spent some time on Tarok Noor, now known as Deep Space Nine, and offers Quark latinum and favors for him to locate a box for her on Deep Space Nine. We start with a log from a mission log from Odo, who is now doing mission logs per the idea of Ben. Now, Rom and Quark are looking for stuff. They're going through Deep Space Nine, and they find the box. It's a piece of paper. On the piece of paper is eight Bajoran names. A man goes to, goes to Quark saying, I knew you wouldn't be able to be trusted to not take a peek, and shoots him. At the crime scene, at first, Odo tries to blame Rom because he's like, oh, well, you know, under the wor- rules of acquisition you would get this bar, and Ram Ram is like, yay! And he's like, oh, wait, no! I I wasn't involved. No, 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 I didn't do that. No dice. And Ram tells the situation of the box, which was in a chemist shop, and then we get a flashback. Ducat is running Tarak Noor,
0: which is what the Cardassians called Deep Space Nine.
1: He is deciding that Odo, who's been around and is able to figure things out and, and be a, a neutral figure. He's like, you should be a constable because I need you to find a murderer because this, this, this guy was killed. And we meet Vatrick again, and she says that her husband was having an affair and that maybe the person that was having an affair with him killed her husband. This is Odo becoming Odo. The flashback ends ends with Patrick pointing to a young Kira, as the person that was having an affair with her husband. This reopens a cold case. Odo tries to get Rom to visualize the names of that were on the list. He's able to visualize one name. Another flashback. Odo meets a young Kira, and Kira says that she was friends with the man. And not lovers, and says to be mindful. Kira tells Odo that at some point you are actually going to choose sides. You cannot just be this neutral person in the war. And to be a constable, to be reminded that he works for the Cardassians. And there's no there is no moral high ground in this. We go back to present. Odo is on Bejor, and Vatrick is pretending that she knows nothing and feigns about Quark being alive, but Odo is doing his cop shit. He's on to something, and Quark is pulling through. One of the names that Rom visualizes is murdered. Flashback. Odo meets Quark for the first time. It turned Quark is like, oh, well, you know, Kira was with me, but then it's figured out that Kira paid Quark for an alibi. Present. Odo is making a list of the people that might be on the list, because Vatric has been getting $100,000 from people, likely on the list, possible Cardassian collaborators. Flashback, Kira says to, to Odo, I didn't kill the man. I'm a member of the underground, and I was doing some other shit, some sabotage. So you have a choice, Odo. You can rat on me for something I did not do. But who are you? what kind of man are you? Go back to the present. Odo knows that Vatrick is probably extorting somebody, and the person that tried to kill Quark listens on and follows Odo. He tries to kill Quark, but Rom stops him and makes all these noises that Rom is known for. And Quark smiles and wakes up, and Rom yells even more because he realizes he won't get the bar. Now, Vetrick is getting arrested, says that she doesn't know the assassin, though her bank her bank, and her actions suggest otherwise. Thatcher calls for a lawyer, and she says, you still can't prove that, she, that, that I killed my husband, because I didn't. And Odo says, I know, because he realizes it was Kira. And he realizes that Dukat had Odo look into the murders, because this is a list of Bajorans who were collaborating with the Cardassians. And if Dukat was to do the inspection, investigation, this would expose that. So Odo being able to test to do it, this was a way to, as you see a lot with the Cardassians, it's a way to save face and get the things that needed to be done. But the members of the underground must have known. So that's so Kira was looking for the list and accidentally killed the guy. And Kira worries that Odo may never trust her again for holding this in because they've known each other well now for a year. She could have told him, but she didn't. And she says, Will you ever trust me again? And he looks at her.
0: End of episode. A note to our listeners If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content, like early releases of Southpaw Deep Space Nine, our fictional narrative podcast, Fighters Brew, break-free versions of our shows without interruptions like you're hearing now, bonus articles, Fighters Brew transcripts with extra content, Liberation Martial Arts Online, as well as our private chat group on Discord. You can also make one-time donations at ko fi or show your solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at salpopod.com. Now, with Rom, do we ever find out why he's hunched over and why he limps? Don't recall. Because this segues into my next point. In SDS 9 Season 1, I said Odo reminded me of the Elephant Man. Interesting. And this episode really drives that home even more. He was not only a lab rat, but a circus act, held in captivity by the Bajorans. Then he escaped, and how that happened is unclear, but from his perspective, not from the Bajoran perspective, because he is not a Bajoran, but someone oppressed by the Bajorans, from his perspective, he could have seen Cardassians as his personal liberators. But it didn't seem like they treated him well either.
1: They had him as a circus act, something that I didn't bring up in the, in the recap, that they would have him perform doing Cardassian tricks and showing his Cardassian neck. So yeah, the elephant man relation is, is apt.
0: And there was allusions to that. And even some of the scenes were kind of recreating some elephant man scenes. So the Cardassians didn't treat him well. And he also didn't like how they treated the Bajorans, even though the Bajorans didn't treat him well either. To your point about the Circus Act, another thing that was mentioned, I believe, was that he was performing, but as still part of the lab. They were still talking about the Bajoran doctor that was telling him to act and perform. Which brings us to something that's been brought up a lot with Odo, that he, or perhaps his species, has an innate Sense of justice, regardless of how he was personally treated. So, from a narrative perspective, he is this third party observer. This blended with the film noir style of this episode because often the detective in film noir is all about not giving a damn about anyone, just the truth. So, stylistically, this is a good way to give us an Odo backstory. Something else I mentioned in season one was how DS9 reminded me a lot of Casablanca. Well, this episode really made that explicit. Literally, some scenes were replicas of moments from Casablanca. And one theme from that movie is, when you're dealing with occupation, there is no good answer. Just less bad answers and necessary evils. And that's what this episode was all about. And also the title of this episode. So this episode and the previous episode, Rules of Acquisition, are both about philosophical ideas that are in the titles. Going back to Odo, he was forced to become a player in this Cardassian-Bajoran conflict because if he didn't, more Bajorans would be killed. It really wasn't much of a choice. Don't do this, lots of Bajorans die. Do this, only some Bajorans die. Odo, like detectives in film noir, decided he did give a damn about other people. In this case, Bajorans. But with this murder case, seems like no one ended up getting killed by the Cardassians, and that was thanks to Odo, and also an unlikely ally, because it was also Quark covering for Kira. Which goes to show the relationship between all three, where they all theoretically could hate one another, but they don't. The strongest bond, which keeps getting brought up in the series, is between Kira and Odo. That unlikely friendship, only people who lived through the war and occupation, can understand, which is also very much like Casablanca. Now, Odo being repulsed at the thought of Bajorans helping Cardassians might seem contradictory, but from Odo's moral philosophy, it's consistent. Why I keep bringing this up is because it's easy to only see things from the Bajoran perspective, but I'm saying he has a different element. He is a third party. He is basically a third country because he not only sees himself as but literally as a third party who's been harmed by both sides. But he also desperately wants to find his people. He yearns for them. On top of that, you had the ultimatum Gul Dukat gave him, and it was a simple ethical equation most schools of ethics would agree on. When you have a situation where people will die, do you go with more deaths or fewer deaths? You go with fewer deaths, which everyone on the show seems to understand for Odo, especially Kira. Also, he didn't become a detective for self-serving reasons. It wasn't like, you do this or you die, Odo, or I'll make you rich, Odo. This is also like film noir stories, the unlikely detective doing it because of his principles. But what Odo can't understand or is repulsed by is Bajorans betraying Bajorans and siding with the enemy and doing it for self-serving reasons, for wealth. Coming from a person who has no people but wants them, he can't understand how you can have people and throw them away. So from Odo's non-Federation, non-Bajoran, non-Cardassian shifter alignment, his views make sense. And not that I think cops should exist, but if there had to be a cop or a necessary evil on DS9, which there seems to be, I prefer Odo over O'Brien or Cisco or Kira or a Cardassian or Bajoran or a Federation officer or a Ferengi. And left politics really needs to think about moral philosophy because that's the whole point. Left philosophy is a method for answering tough moral questions. Left philosophy isn't the point. Answering tough moral questions is. Human life is. Safety from premature death is. People fetishize methods like decentralization or lack of structure. When those are just theoretical methods for a better world. They're not the point. The cup isn't the point. The point is the water. It's about answering thirst. I think starting with the cup, left politics, the method, like decentralized everything, no cops, and skipping philosophy has us never recognizing that these are methods answering a question. We know the solution, but never learn the problem. Ignoring the question doesn't make the questions go away. Changing the question definitely doesn't answer the question. And people often reframe the big, difficult questions to an easier question. The big question is, what do we do about this rotten system? The simplistic answer to an easier question is, no cops. Or the big question, what do we do about white supremacy? The easier answer to a different question, decentralize everything. But white supremacy is already decentralized. So that's not a solution, but you're acting like it's doing something. Now, there was a neoliberal moment in this episode when we find out Palra had no money, so they cut her power. So we find out that power isn't socialized, but privatized. This episode made it explicit that Bajorans use money, and your quality of life is very much dependent on how much money you have. So going back to rules of acquisition with the morn scene, we see how money and inequality, unhappiness, neglect, along with bigotry. Are constant recurring themes. The new Bajoran society seems to be getting neoliberalized, which is common in real life when there's a war and Western allies show up. And we saw explicit commentary about these neoliberal reforms in season one, like with the wormhole and what that would do for trade. We're setting fire to an old Bajoran commune for the sake of extracting resources, all of which had Kira involved. And in both of those episodes, it still had Kira questioning whether she was still an abolitionist or a liberal reformer. The big questions. So I like all these little investments into telling a bigger story. Going back to the episode where Kira set fire to a commune, that episode was titled Progress. And it was not only about the price, but the contradictions of progress. It's about making a better life for Bajorans. But in that episode, we saw clearly it was not making Life better for those majorans. We also saw neoliberal capitalist seizures of land and property. It's not just communists who do this. Except in capitalism, it's not seized from plantation owners and slavers and oppressors, but the little guys. Now, why I'm bringing up progress is because whether the writers plan to or not, this episode bookends that episode. This is where that story arc ends, just because if we're trying to be consistent. The whole point of the necessary evil of that episode and all the sacrifices was to provide Bajorans with power. That's how it morally made sense to Kira. But in this episode, now we know power is privatized and you have to buy it, which is how neoliberal reforms work. Promise one thing, that it's all worth it, a necessary evil for a better life, when it's not worth it, and it's only a better life for the already rich who already have a good life. Also, the prices are normally buried. You don't hear about them. Like, I'm sure no one knows what happened on that moon other than DS9 crew. And also, much like in real life, not only is the power privatized, but the area you got the resource from is now uninhabitable. Welcome to environmental injustice and environmental racism. This happens to indigenous people all the time. This happens to whole communities and countries. Even going with a neoliberal model rather than a socialist model without money, the neoliberal model promises one thing but provides a different reality, which we keep seeing more and more examples of in this series. These are not big moments in this episode, but these minor moments are where all the political economy happens. And like I keep saying in the series, fascism is about cruel accounting. And even in real life, the stuff that actually makes the world turn and burn are those little boring political economic moments no one cares about because it's not exciting or dramatic. Accounting doesn't seem authoritarian, but the results are always dramatic. The results are fascistic. You look at every water crisis or disaster and the results are devastating. But how we got there was boring white collar paperwork accounting stuff no one wanted to pay attention to. We're trained to look for authoritarianism And this doesn't look authoritarian because it's slow and it's not about the act of doing something or the use of power, but not doing something and deliberately not using your power, just making whatever happens seem natural, democratic, and free. The opposite of authoritarianism. But going back to morality, this is not the moral or social contract people signed up for. It doesn't matter if it doesn't look like centralization or authoritarianism, or that's the only schema you know how to understand things. The results are the results. So these seemingly trivial moments, whether in DS9 or in real life, is what makes everything make sense. And I'm sure these are moments not every Trek fan noticed or paid attention to, but these moments change your whole understanding of the situations and even the characters you love. It's like sorting through history, sorting through the past in real life, just as sorting through old episodes. When you view it from the lens of political economy and moral philosophy, you have to recalibrate. Maybe everyone in the past weren't as lovable as we first thought. If you love the Southpaw project, become one of our financial supporters. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week, and you'll be giving us some breathing room, not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. We can't exist without your contributions. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at southpawpod.com.
1: Yes, I was just thinking about a line that radicalized me in trying to unpack my own privilege as a Jewish person. And I don't know if I've said it here before, but in the Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James, he has a a throwaway line where he says, "Even the Jewish slave owners." would give their slaves sabbath off and i always thought that the jews were not complicit in the slave trade and i did a lot of research and they certainly did not have the impact or the power that any any other white people in the slave trade had but they they there were instances of some Jewish people taking advantage of the tragedy and the travesties that were going on, which is to say that you can find collaborators and in all types of situations, and it, and it's hard to understand. And a lot of it comes from incrementalism, or just just safety, or trying to take care of yourself, or I don't know we can there will be episodes where i can go deeper into this but obviously i recommend the black jacobins by clr james
0: so you have to look at the past and recalibrate even though it's painful
1: it's it's incredibly painful because because i thought well i i i'm not responsible for when i first started this journey which took a very long time i was like oh well Well, we're not responsible. We weren't here. Uh, You know, what are we supposed to do in this in this in this situation? And then you're like, but but wait, what's going on in in Palestine now? Are are we what's going on there? Are are we the bad people? Or obviously, it's more complicated than that. But then you learn that that we weren't uninvolved in the slave trade, and again, not at a very not gigantically, but but it was there. And there's even synagogues left in Haiti. Well, there were. I don't know if there are any more after all the 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 terrible things that have happened to the land of descendants, Haitian descendants.
0: Going back to natural disasters, right?
1: Yeah, uh, Haitians who are descendants of Jewish slaves that were, you know, converted to Judaism. It's deep, man, and it's truly painful. And, and if you're trying to do the work, you have to be willing to have pain and have positionality.
0: And in thinking about recalibrating for this episode, something that was interesting for me was to look at Odo's status in the past. In present time, he has authority, but in the past, you see his actual status in society was low he probably had the lowest status in this occupied society. And even before it was occupied, he definitely had the lowest status, below Cardassians, below Bajorans, which makes sense why Bajorans came to him to sort things out for them, because they didn't feel like he was superior to them. With the Bajorans and Cardassians, you can make lots of analogies for oppressor and oppressed from real life. But the character of Odo complicates things and makes it less black and white. It makes it more uncomfortable. Because now you have three different parties involved. You have the Philippines, who was oppressed by the Spanish, then followed by the Americans. Or Korea with Japan and then the U.S. Or you have Nazis oppressing Jewish people. But to your point, Scott, you have Israel oppressing Palestine. Odo doesn't make it nice and neat, which is the whole theme of this episode. And perhaps of the greater narrative of the series, that the issues they deal with won't be nice and neat. What adds even more dimension to this is that Odo is the enforcer of the law. Now, if we were just thinking about neutral arbitrators who handle disputes, we in theory don't have a problem with this. But cops in real life aren't it because they're always biased towards white supremacy and property owners. Odo, in this origin story, is about as close as you can get to this theoretical concept. He just wants justice. But what's the other moral problem? I don't necessarily think bias is the issue with Odo. I don't think he's going to be harassing Bajorans all day. Actually, we've never seen that. But the problem is how he decides punishment. His idea of justice is punitive. Mm -hmm. And he also likes authority. That's something he's developed over time. But now Odo can go for a restorative justice approach instead of punitive approach. But lots of people don't like that either. Or like it even less than punitive justice, because though it doesn't penalize the culprit, it doesn't give the victim a sense of justice being served. And even when socialist organizations who hate punitive justice try it, they often get called out for protecting the culprit or being cultish. That's how it's perceived, which also does speak to how we've been conditioned to unconsciously prefer punitive justice. Even those of us who are trying to work against that conditioning. Now, the other form of justice he could try is transformative justice, which is about overhauling the systems, creating the injustices. Except Odo can't do that. The actual meaningful way to approach justice is not within his power, which is also why ACAB doesn't really address the root problem. Cops are the symptoms, but the root problem is the system and its laws and its interpretations. For the US, it's the Constitution itself. Transformative justice can only happen through either Cisco or the Bajorian government, or maybe even the Federation itself, if they still use a punitive system of justice. Cops are an effect, not the cause. I always look at the bosses, the ones at the top, the quote unquote lawmakers, or the system itself. It's just my consistent framework. So that's why I'm way more critical of Cisco than most fans. But when Cisco and Odo were playing good cop, bad cop in rules of acquisition with a naive ROM, It really made explicit who the real boss is and how he enjoys policing. It almost seemed like a naive child and how police do this game and want to avoid the child getting somebody to represent him, a lawyer. This is not my interpretation. That scene and Cisco's enjoyment and his explicit power over Odo was all there. It's whether we acknowledge scenes like that happening and recalibrating or ignoring it and creating our own edited narrative which we also do in real life, which is why I'm bringing it up. I see it all the time in real life, even among people on the left. Like regardless of how many racist receipts you bring up about George Orwell or how victim-blaming he is, especially on the racialized, or shady shit about Robert Evans from The Bastard's Pod and how victim-blaming he is and how he shits on the Global South and their movements. Or how that whole left boogaloo audience is full of toxic masculinity, reverse victimhood, xenophobia, and elevation of Europe and Europeans. Their fans don't care. They will just create their own headcanon and project what they want on them and see what they want to see. Probably because what they want to see is a mirror. So since this whole episode was about moral gray areas, and even the past was visually colored in shades of gray, it makes sense the episode ended in a gray area. And with my own commentary, I don't have any answers, just a request to look at the harder questions about standpoint, about political economy, about moral philosophy. Scott, what were some of your thoughts about this episode?
1: Well, from a Trek episode, it's like a, it gives me a bit of Kira and who she was and Odo and who he is. So that gives me a, like a three. It's, it's a solid three all around. There's some good performances. We learn some things. We don't learn some things. There's not a lot of the main characters in the episode. It's just an episode that gives you a little more backstory. You get a little more Gold ducat. You get a little mo- more of yeah, the idea that Tarek Nar is like Gotham City and Deep Space Nine is Metropolis. You know, it's just a different vibe, totally. And I just think it's one of those episodes that it's fine, but it allows us to unpack things and discuss things in a in a way that gives me a little joy.
0: And I think I told you about the last episode, "Rules of Acquisition," and the same with this episode. I didn't think they were great, but I said they had a lot of things to talk about, and I think especially for me. This episode had a lot of things for me to talk about, even though it wasn't one of my favorite episodes, but it was interesting. And the reason why I had so many things to discuss, I think is because I'm trying to make a consistent, realistic world in my mind watching this. So all those little moments have to make sense. But sometimes like some of the best written episodes, I don't have much to say either. So how much we have to say or I have to say is not indicative of the quality of the episode. So I think that's why like, even discussing something you brought up about, there's different ways to write. You're writing about mythology or just the episode or for the series. It's like writing is hard. It's hard to write for something to discuss and it's hard to write something that delivers in plot. So, how are you even able to make one interesting episode, you know, let alone try to make them all interesting? So, this is quite a tremendous task.
1: Uh, yeah. And again, as we will say a lot. This is 90s television where you might get 25 episodes a season. So with what they're they're working with something and they're doing their best.
0: Very different from today's like shorter attention span TV series except the movies are getting longer somehow.
1: Somehow. And not like the movies that I like like I can watch Tarkovsky's Solaris or Stalker and forget how long I've been in there or even you know, the hourglass sanitarium, which, you know, so I don't mind a long movie. It's just, what are you going to do with it?
0: Yeah. I mean, why are popcorn movies turning into three-hour movies, you know? Like the movies you mentioned, I get it. But, you know, a popcorn movie, you know, you could cut out an hour. Even like,
1: you know, I, I started rewatching Cobra Kai, and I like that I can just pick it up, and then if I want it to be about you know, toxic masculinity and white supremacy and undoing trauma, it can be. Or if I just want it to be an entertaining thing, it can be. And then it's over in 20 minutes and then I move on.
0: (laughs) Yep. All right, Scott, can you tell us a bit about the next episode?
1: The next episode is Second Sight. And, uh, you know, Cisco might be trying to get his groove back.
0: Oh, All right. Until then.